0: My name is Bree Castellini. I used to be a spy.
1: My name is Chris Cherry. I used to have hope.
0: And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy.
1: Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice.
0: If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, because we've changed them quite a lot since our intro episode, and therefore should probably change this intro copy. But also, before we get started, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, knows who's making very loud sounds outside my window right now, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, hints on who is making such big noises outside my window right now, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any Kind to burnnoticedpodcast at podcast or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod that is burn noticed with a D. I'm feeling very like radio jockey this week. Really? Yeah, I can kind
1: of hear it in your delivery.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to amp things up. You know, like start this on a good on a good energy. Yeah, of course. Because it's been a rough weekend for context, everyone. Yesterday, no, two days ago, I guess. Two now. days ago
1: um, now. We, two days ago.
0: Two. Two days ago, we got the news of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, so that that contextualizes this episode in history. Uh, You are hearing this episode, I believe, two weeks before uh, election day. It's not two weeks. Which is, they're hearing this episode.
1: Oh, you're hearing the episode. Yeah, you're right. Oh, boy.
0: Yeah, this episode is going to come out on October 19th.
1: Uh, I mean, man, I don't think days. they need the context of when they're hearing the episode. They well, have that I'm just context. Saying, they don't have they the do context, have context of when we're recording it.
0: I'm just saying, I hope that Chris has a little more hope in two weeks. Uh, I hope everything goes well. It's been very strange because this is not the only podcast that I have now. Um, Spoiler alert, everyone on listening to this podcast, I have another podcast because I cannot be stopped. It is with my friend Christina, who is distinct from Christine, who does this podcast with me. Christina and I have a new podcast called Breaking Out of Breaking In, which is a filmmaking podcast, and we release every other week. And this is important context because uh, it it requires fewer recording sessions for us to get like super far ahead of ourselves in the recording. So like we've already recorded two episodes past election day, and we are very very nervous that we're going to have to make some changes to our intros because, like, it is very awkward to be giving people, like, career and creative advice in a potential, like, full apocalypse scenario. So right, that's been yeah. some. That's been a conversation topic that we've had to have uh, around our brand-new podcast together. So,
1: it's yeah, really this is also going to be an interesting show how to do that there. These podcasts, and really all podcasts – are like such a document of
0: mm-hmm. the
1: end of the world.
0: For real though. And it, you know it's funny because like I remember podcasts from before the 2016 election and uh the conversations were very different, you know. Everyone was like, "Oh, thank God it's going to be over soon." And in this this time everyone's like we're all going to die. We're
1: all going to die. And it's, <laughs> it's really...
0: been a long fucking 4 years. And the,
1: that's the thing too about Not only do we have to acknowledge what's happening, but we have to give the audience like a context of where we are right now because context changes so much in the time between when we record the podcast and when it goes out that like we're living in a completely different world when the podcast goes out. So we have to be like, hey, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's like just died. Uh mm-hmm. when you're listening to this, it's likely that Los Angeles is burnt down.
0: And we're only recording like a month out. Like, we're only about a month ahead of ourselves exactly. in terms of recording versus releasing. And that is terrifying how quickly things change.
1: It's, yeah, it's not a fun, like, time to live.
0: No, it's not. So, uh, you know what I want to do, Chris? I want to go back to 2010. A better time.
1: When in 2010.
0: Well, uh, June 17th, 2010, when the episode Made Man, season four, episode three, appeared on the USA Television Network. You know
1: what's weird about this? that's... (laughs) What? That was the same day as last week's. They must have, like, skipped a week and then doubled up. I thought it was weird when my episode was, like, only, like, two weeks away or whatever, like, three weeks away, like, from my last one or, like... It was all weird. I was like, that doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, maybe it was the Summer Olympics. Maybe. That's my theory at least. If somebody wants to fact check us, please do. Otherwise, only get in touch with me if you know Jeffrey Donovan and or know who was making noise outside my window. So, moving on. This episode, Made Man, was written by Alfredo Barrios Jr., oh no, and directed by none other than Wicked Pissa JD. Our boy, our bathroom sign of a man, has become a smarty pants director. And i did I have not a notice lot of opinions. This.
1: I noticed I have who wrote of it, opinion. but I didn't pay attention to who directed it. Like, Because yeah, I was actually just... watching it already, watching the cold open and like going into it being like, oh, the writing on this one's a little rough. Who's doing this? And then I saw Barris mm-hmm. and was like, oh, that tracks. And I didn't pay attention it to gets, the director. I, will s-
0: <laughs> I know. Well, so it, this, is our, this is our first directing credit for our boy. And I'm pretty sure he directs a couple other episodes as the series goes on. Um, I will say in... Alfredo's benefit. The episode gets better as it goes. There, it's. I mean, it's an Alfredo Barrios Jr. episode, so like, don't hold your breath. But there was some stuff. Like, there were some there, little details so in this episode mean to that I this enjoyed. This human
1: being. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure do he's you think we're a perfectly we're, nice, probably I'm weird, sure all conservative of them. guy? <laughs>
0: I mean, we're mean to a lot of people on burn notice. Like, do you think we're nicer or meaner to Alfredo Barrios Jr. or Matt Nix?
1: I think we're nicer to Matt Nix because we're watching his television show.
0: Are we, though?
1: I mean, we talk about him more and we definitely give him a lot of guff. But like the fact that we made a podcast about his television show and like oftentimes say that it's a television show worth watching or at the very least imply that it is a television show worth watching <laughs> by the existence of a podcast um, Sure, yeah, suggests that we like his show and whereas like alfredo alfredo barrios jr doesn't get that he is That's just true. like the writer that only exists to be our punching bag
0: well maybe he should like relax a little bit i will say i there were part i like this episode like you know it's not a great one. It definitely is a a come down, a hangover from the first two, which we really enjoyed this season. Uh, but there's there's some stuff to like. So no, before we get like. into the weeds. Before we get into the weeds, uh Yeah, I you're supposed to you, read the
1: IMDB description, Bree.
0: <laughs> I know I am. That was what my transition was about to be. Don't don't give me the tone like I was gonna forget. I never forget structure. How dare you?
1: You were like, let's get into the weeds. Oh, before we get into the weeds.
0: No, I said, well, before we get into the weeds, listen, The when the court reporter reads back my remarks, you will see I did not perjure myself. Anyways, according to IMDb, Jesse convinces Michael, Sam, and Fee to help a warehouse security guard being harassed by mobsters. But when Michael's cover is compromised, Sam is forced to take over and run point on the operation.
1: This is a little bit more of a Sam episode. Both this week and next week are a little bit more of a Sam episode.
0: Well I think they noticed that Sam had like nothing to do in episodes one and two, so they're yeah. they're throwing it back his way. Um okay, so let's start. Let's let's jump into them weeds.
1: All right. uh, Jesse
0: is late. This is the beginning thing, which is that our, our regular gang is annoyed because Jesse is late and there's a little spy voiceover that's like, Jesse is late, guys, and we're really mad about it. Turns out he's late because he's been like casing Carlitos to make sure that it's secure and then he brings drinks, so I guess all is well. Um, don't really pay attention to what happens in this scene because it's like, I have a lead, blah, 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 Algeria, blah, 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 Cobra. The only interesting thing to come out of this scene is that they have to go to the docks to follow up on a guy that uh, that Jesse has codenamed Cobra because the only times he's talked to this, like, I guess, whistleblower from a potential arms dealer, it related to, you know, the the war, the pay for profit. Yeah, he's war, like a war for profit thing. He's a lead. Yeah, Yeah, he's a lead, but the reason that he's called Cobra, uh, according to Jesse, is because he has, like, kind of a deep, like, hissy voice, like, very scratchy, like, he kind of sounds like a snake, I guess. And so everyone's like, Jesse, Cobra is a terrible nickname. And Jesse's like, well, it's
1: my operation, so fuck you. (laughs) It's not. It's fine. Like, this is such a weird runner that everyone's like, Cobra, that's dumb. And it's like, is it? Is it dumb?
0: Well, that's, that was what I was finding so funny is that like, I enjoyed the runner because I always like when they're just like a little bit pissy at each other. But I, w- I had the same opinion, Chris, where I was like, Cobra sounds like dope. I want to just like find felt- a gun runner named Cobra. It just felt forced. And, oh, like, for there sure is some
1: dead. kind of fun stuff in this the, episode. Like,
0: the actors are giving the Cobra bit more than it deserves. Yeah. And that is what I will say on that level.
1: Like, and it's so weird that it's like, it doesn't seem like a thing that, like, would be something that they would latch on to. And, like, I yeah, the bet they got they- the
0: draft of the episode and they were like, Barrios, you gotta add more levity. This is like, we're, this is not the wire, my man. Please
1: yeah. give us a joke. Here's the thing, too. Is that like this plot line continues into next week, and next week they never not watch me- never not once mention Cobra.
0: Don't they? I think they do be in like the cold open, maybe because they're they're explicitly trying to find him. Yeah, no, they're, they're trying to sure find him. Dead. But I
1: don't believe they ever say Cobra. I think they just say like my. Oh, lead, I think they. I,
0: well, I think they learn his name. I think well, they, they learn
1: his name they, in that episode. My point being is that like. It, it feels like this,
0: entirely for this episode. It was
1: entirely for this episode. I think it was like a Barrios invention, or like who knows, maybe even a wicked a JD invention. But like it was something that was like.
0: It feels last minute. It does feel tacked on. It feels just super like tacked on. Yeah, it's very weird. I don't know. I anytime there's like a joke that isn't about like how terrible bad guys are in a Barrios episode, I'm fine with it, and I'm willing to give him. But I think he's a bad little at bit it. of credit. No, I agree he's bad at it, but I'm trying to give him credit because you accused us of being mean to him, and I would never except for when it's warranted, which is always is. Anyways, next, the gang heads to the docks to do a few days of surveillance. But unfortunately, Jesse's hero complex gets the better of him because he, as they are kind of like casing the mobsters around, or I don't even think they're casing the mobsters. They're just like getting info out of regular dock hands um, to get information on like an Algerian ship ship that was carrying weapons, they believe, according to Cobra, uh, they find out that a lot of people on the docks are actually mobsters and that the docks are mob-controlled. And they watch a uh, snivelly little security guard man get beat up by mobsters. And Jesse is like, I got to kill mobsters. I can't just let them get away with it. And so he goes and, like, inserts himself into the situation, which, of course, is blowing their cover in terms of information gathering, but uh, definitely gets them a new case of the week. And the case of the week is a guy named Hank. Him rescuing Hank, the security guard, from the mobsters and being like, I'll help you, I'm Jesse the hero. That's the, you know, cold open end. And the only reason I wanted to call that out is because I noticed as we are, like, getting the name of cast the, you know, starring Jeffrey Donovan, blah, blah, blah. Jesse is third named. So he's before the with Bruce Campbell and with Sharon Gless. So he is considered part of the main cast for this season, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Because like... You had the uh, you you made the statement last week, I think that it maybe didn't seem like Jesse was gonna stick around for long. but the fact that they have immediately given him top billing instead of just guest starring indicates to me at least that I think they were planning on keeping him around for at least two seasons.
1: That's fair. That makes sense. I also will say I also want to say that I like that Jesse gets them the case like this mm-hmm. because like he described that this was the thing that he did when he was. A field agent, like, mm-hmm.
0: and that was why he was benched, and that's yeah how Michael ended up getting him in trouble. And,
1: and like, that's exactly the sort of thing that is like an informed character trait. A lot of the time, they'll be like, "This guy is good. We need to explain why he's good." He's like, "Well, he got benched because he cared too much." It's nice to actually see them do something plot with that,
0: right? Yeah, it it does seem like they're actually adding character consistency into the mix, which is exciting. But yeah, I agree. I like that like they're on one job for Jesse and then Jesse gets them embroiled in another job because he just can't help himself. He's actually, he's very Fiona like that. Like Fiona has that trouble too, where sometimes she'll get herself in the middle of something just because she sees, you know, see something, say something. Or in this case, see something, punch someone.
1: One thing that's really becoming a thing over these few episodes is that uh, Jesse and Fiona are really good together.
0: They are so fun. Well, they're the younger cast members. So they they already have a little bit more like chemistry and energy. Because like both Jay Don and uh, Campbell are kind of over it in some ways. Like, they're definitely the adults in the room. And it's fun to watch the kids go wild.
1: I mean, I won't say that they definitely have a better chemistry than Fee and Michael, but they have a more fun, relaxed chemistry.
0: Yeah, well, I would say they have, they have chemistry not necessarily in a romantic sense, but on like just a scene level. It's fun to watch them and stuff. Like I still really like Michael and Fiona and I, I hope we get something with them soon because I miss it. I, I, I want to see where they're at emotionally. And I think that they both do a really good job of like grounding things in emotions. We haven't really seen Jesse do emotion yet, not really to the extent that obviously we've seen our classic cast members do. Uh, But yeah, I think that's something that Michael Weston slash Don do really well is I think that he is good at playing the quiet moments really simply in yeah. ways that like he doesn't need to do too much. And I think that that's what I like about him and Fee, is that he kind of grounds her and she makes him more exciting. So they are a more fun pairing romantically. But on a scene level, 100%, Jesse and Fee are very fun.
1: Because that's kind of the thing, though, about romantic couples on like film and television, Mm -hmm. right? Is that oftentimes you spend so much time with them having strife, you know, that you don't get to see them like actually be a couple. And sometimes it's kind of a problem in stories like this where... You don't get why they like each other because you don't see them like having fun together and like enjoying each other. A little bit, Michael and Fee have that. They have that like straight couple in a movie chemistry where they're really good at playing these like emotional moments where they kind of fight and like have sex and like (laughs) care deeply about each other and make sad eyes at each other. But like the only time we ever see them like having nice fun chemistry is when they're making a bomb.
0: It's true, and but like I have never seen anyone make a bomb sexier than when it's Fee and Michael in a room together.
1: That's totally true. I'm just saying that, like.
0: <laughs> no, I, I hear what you're saying, but I and I think that that's just sort of the nature of this show's perspective and assumed demographic. Um, I think that they didn't assume that so many uh, older white women on Twitter would be watching their show. I think that they expected this show to appeal more to men. And so I they they have never seemed super interested in playing up the romance. But the romance is a fun part of it. And, you know. Although,
1: here's the thing. I wish there had been
0: more female writers. Because I think I bet we'd get is, a little bit more.
1: I think it is a romance that appeals to older white women. Because, like, I think it's really a romance novel romance.
0: But there's not enough of it. Like, if no, it was a romance novel enough. romance, we'd, feel we'd like get, like, kissy-kissy in every episode.
1: But, like, that's like, the dynamic, they- is that, like, there's, there's Strafe, and he's, like, distant, and like but I you- think
0: that that's just a matter of genre I don't think that's necessary like I've seen romance shows I know what shows are geared towards older white women um, it's not this that's because fair. even when it's not just like sex scenes every episode like Outlander there is you gotta check in more but the fact that like it's oh, season totally 4 true. Fiona is still referred to as the ex-girlfriend and we only really get romantic check-ins like two to three times a season uh, I, I think that there's there's definitely a distinction. Oh no, of
1: course. I'm just more talking about like the relationship dynamic.
0: I think that's just heterosexual people in TV, Chris. I think you're thinking too I mean, deeply. I didn't
1: <laughs> want to say it, but
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. I've seen a lot of heterosexual TV couples. They're all fucking like this. So I know. Got and it's be- really
1: frustrating.
0: We've got to move on Uh, because uh, I want to reveal the fact that Hank, our our client of the week, our security guard who got his arm busted up by the mobsters, is played by the character actor who plays Rune and Gilmore Girls. And I love that for him.
1: I had forgotten that, but yes.
0: Classic wimpy guy, but like sometimes ends up as like the lackey of, a mob- like, he seems like he probably could have been the lackey of the mobster instead of like the victim of. So, yeah. you know, he, he he's very versatile in
1: the kind of He can of be wimpy, but P-Boys. he could also be Weasley.
0: Exactly. You know, and that's not always true for all character actors who play this type. Anyways, he tells us that the dock is crawling with mob boys and knee deep and racketeering charges just waiting to be pressed. So Jesse's like, we got to help him and kind of strong arms Michael in front of uh, of Hank. And so Michael's like, yeah, fine, I guess we're helping you. Um, and once again, we've reestablished that Michael Weston hates doing work hates it just hates it so uh next up sam and michael go stake out the big boy in charge of these mobsters tony who unfortunately for them is mr clean uh-oh guess we have to make a full episode out of this dude uh back at the homestead we get the first of our c
1: plot and by mr clean yeah. that means that, like he's not like you can't tie anything to him because all of his
0: yeah yeah. His hands are clean because he always makes. He never, you know, he he no longer gets his hands dirty. This is a theme that will come up several times. Where Tony's exactly. whole thing is yeah. like, "I'm I the just boss." but to make sure
1: that people understand that and not just that like he's a, like a large bald man who cleans things. He is bald. He is bald. But not like in a Mr. Clean But for an unrelated reason.
0: So anyways, Madeline and Jesse are making hummus, which was just a really random detail, but that I enjoyed a lot. The secret is that you add cumin, apparently. And Madeline is like absolutely grilling his ass because she's noticed he's never leaves the house from the same door twice in a row and keeps parking his car on different places in the street. So she's like, you're somebody. And I want to know who, because apparently nobody's filled Madeline in on what's happening, which, given how she reacts, is very fair.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I will say, yeah, they're making hummus. There's a lot of food in this episode, because, like, there's a whole joke in the steakout in the last scene that Jesse is the one who has to get the snacks for the steakout, and he gets, like, cheese Whiz and bologna. (laughs) And they're like, no. You're just gross. That's disgusting. He's like, yeah, you're lost. I was kind of thinking that he was going to have a really gross hummus recipe, too.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's just a detail so that we can get into the scene. It's like the the banter at the top, but like I love what I love about Madeline in this episode is not only that she's like doing her own investigation and being nosy as fuck and really obvious about it because you know classic Madeline, but also that she's explaining her process in such a way that like we know she she knows what's up. Like she she noticed the the exit plan. She noticed that he doesn't park his car, uh, and later on in the episode she notices a detail about a photo that Jesse shows her to get even further. So like Detective Madeline is really coming a long way. They have to let her be in the gang. Please let Madeline do a case. She's very good at this. I was proud of her. Anyways. So she she's like poking him, poking him, and he's like, ah, I'm just some guy. And then Michael comes in, and Madeline's like, fine, you guys don't tell me. I'll figure it out, and leaves. And Michael gives Jesse the classic first plan of action for a job such as this. They are going to convince the mob that the FBI is on their dock operation so that they can convince them to just walk away. So they don't even have to take down the mob. They just need to convince the mob that, like, Everyone knows what's up and they should just like leave town. So classic, this is definitely going to work. As Michael makes a gross gum and lint wrapped listening device, it's very gross and an excellent little spy tip that we'll talk about later. Sam is very excited to reveal Michael's new identity for this episode. He's going to be taking over the identity of a disgraced FBI agent who like was discharged or something like he was he was put on leave yeah a couple of months ago leave. and like they can nobody can account for his last six months because he's basically been in like alaska drinking himself to death so he's like whatever you've done in the last six months is sort of up to you because nobody can verify it so uh it's a guy named ned what's his name
1: gordon. ned something it's gordon, gordon that's it. it's kind of a weird scene because like sam is like really really building it up like the name that ned gordon is gonna mean anything
0: Right. Well, so something that I noticed in this episode is there's a lot of like really heavy handed foreshadowing, because yeah. apparently Four Seasons and Barrios doesn't trust the audience that like, we will pick up on foreshadowing. So we needs to like really spoon feed it like, to yeah, us. This like, is not this the first time it great, happened. Great, great alias.
1: It's not gonna
0: fail. But then later on, they do a two-part foreshadowing thing that then doesn't come to anything. So now I'm like, Barrios, what's happening? Are you just being heavy-handed for no reason? And it's an accident that the first one happened to be foreshadowing? What are you doing? But we'll get there. So, um, but yeah, so this very excellent FBI alias, Ned Gordon, is given to Michael. Then Michael is, uh, oh, and uh, this is the scene where I want to call attention to the fact that I now understand J Don's directing style and it is moving shots and headroom. If you rewatch this episode you'll see what I mean. There is so much fucking headroom in every medium or wide shot. It's like he doesn't want to see anyone's waistline. It's huh. all torso and up. It's very like it's it's subtle in some cases, but it's distinct. There's a lot of headroom I didn't and I notice. don't know I'll how have to explain to look it.
1: For it. Yeah, um, you should
0: you should look for it. It's it's wild. Uh he maybe, also really likes like, um
1: he really wanted people to feel comfortable on his set. So he was like, this is a pants-off set. <laughs> this is like a but, chill. You can wear sweatpants if you want. This is a sweatpants set.
0: Yeah. Wicked Pisset and
1: mean, runs a sweatpants <laughs> set.
0: And it, it's... I, I can't tell if it's like a, jo- a choice that he's making or if the fact that like he's never behind the camera means that the DP got lazy. Like, I don't know what's happening, but there is definitely a distinct noticeable increase in headroom, uh, which for those of you who are not in the film industry, means that there is a lot of space in the frame between the, the top of frame and people's heads. Usually you want to r- decrease that because like, unless there's something interesting in that part of the frame, you know, that that we need to pay attention to. We just want more of our principal subjects. So, But also you can't put
1: their head like too close to the edge of frame because then it looks weird sometimes and it kind of feels like maybe they're almost like trapped or your brain kind of believes that their head is like stuck to the top of the frame almost. It's interesting. Headroom is interesting because like you can't really if there's just like a millimeter of headroom, that's like not good either.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, generally, you want to put you want people's eyes to be like roughly like two thirds up.
0: Yes, exactly. In the that's exactly it. But in a lot of these shots, it's the top of their head that's two thirds up.
1: We yeah, it's just, it's part there's, of a whole framing thing called rule of thirds. You can look it up. Yeah, you can look
0: it up. We're not going to educate you on this. The other thing, though, this is that, that I, I did like is podcast. <laughs> no that's my other podcast don't take this away from me yeah if you want the to other know thing, more though, about
1: rule of thirds go listen to Bree's other podcast with christina yeah,
0: exactly Ah, uh, not e uh never call me Christina. Things.
1: i don't care for that
0: <laughs> two things first of all we discovered that the abbreviated version of like the initialism of our podcast is Booby. Be breaking out of breaking in, uh, so we've decided that our listeners are called the boobies, which we think That's is really hilarious. good. It's very good, and it was totally unintentional. And the second thing is that the other thing that Jeffrey Donovan appears appears to like is tracking shots, like when you put. Um, the camera on wheels and like follow people around the room and zoom in or zoom over. Like, there's a lot of like smooth moves. And in certain circumstances, I really like this. And he seems to not be on sticks very often. Like, he seems to like the more natural, like somebody holding the camera versus setting up a tripod and shooting. So he definitely likes to keep things moving. And I think maybe a little shots bit.
1: Off st- on handheld or are they on like a dolly?
0: Uh they don't seem to be handheld. It seems like the the still shots are handheld and the tracking shots are on some kind of slider um, yeah. or track. And uh, I think in a couple of cases he overdoes it a little bit and it's like relax. I mean, you know you're doing a That's good like a new job exactly. Thing. And then there's there's a handful of scenes where it's like this was his choice like this was a thing that he wanted so like there's a handful of like really like artfully composed single shots and sometimes they really work and sometimes it's like go make a movie this is a TV show please get moving Um, and there are like. I think there's like three scenes set at magic hour when they do not need to be. So um, magic hour is of course the time right after sunset, like where everything is like very colorful in the sky, maybe right before sunset, I guess basically it's the period of time where the night sky looks really nice. Um, There are two very distinct shots, uh, very distinct scenes set at magic hour. And that is classic newbie director.
1: Yeah. It's like, The sky is gold and everyone's just sort of, like, lit. And, like, the sun is, like, going down. So, like, sunlight is a little bit more directional. So you get more shadows. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And there's usually other colors in the sky. There's, like, some pinks and purples and, you know, oranges. It's how to get a pretty shot without having to know anything about lighting. You just wait a little bit and you're there. So anyways, what I'm saying is I noticed and I think there's a lot to like. And I think there's a lot that he, I'm sure, will eventually learn. Hopefully part of that is less headroom. But anyways, so Michael as Ned Gordon, our disgraced FBI agent, is brought in to meet Tony because he's been like... Very obviously casing the the bar that uh or the restaurant, I think, at this point that um that Tony Mr. Clean is is hanging out at. And yeah, so there's he's a brought in
1: earlier in the episode where I if I don't remember if it was Sam or Michael that was like, This is a mob bar like they're confused about it and I don't understand why. It's like it's fine, it's whatever. It's just a restaurant.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like asides people make in this episode that are like completely meaningless. But it's like shit. They have to say something else now. Just say that. So it's very confusing. Classic Barrios. But anyways, another classic Barrios thing is our first like verbal introduction to Tony Clean. So Tony is introduced as Michael is being like brought in um, with his hands behind his back by having an ongoing conversation with an underling. So there's a man who looks very scared and it's like brought in in front of Tony and Tony is yelling at him for being late for a payment. And the man explains, well, it's because my son was sick and I needed to buy medicine, which is so nonspecific. Like, He's in a Dickens novel, and uh, of course, Tony is furious, and he's like, I don't care if your kid gets cancer and dies, like, you gotta pay me on time. You're gonna pay me tonight, right? And the guy's like, yeah, I'll pay you tonight, and he's like, all right, good, get out of here. So, you know,
1: you yeah, need that, to like, understand yeah, early on. I'll kill your kid if you don't give me money.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's he's like this guy, guy, classic dirtbag. He's a bad guy. He hates kids, and kids, as always, are only here to be punished and as window dressing for how bad the bad guys are. Like yes. there's always gotta be some kind of tortured or potentially tortured kid in a barrios episode. Yeah. Otherwise, how will we know this guy is bad?
1: Yeah, because he's a bad guy. Although it is interesting that this bad guy has like an arc.
0: It is. It it's actually kind of well done. I was like a little bit sad at the at Tony's demise. <laughs> because yeah. I was like, oh no, he turned over a new leaf, sort of. Well he didn't um, turn over
1: well, he turned over a different leaf, I suppose, yeah. <laughs>
0: It's still a different leaf is a new leaf, Chris. That's true. Anyways, so Ned slash Michael indicates that he has info on a potential investigation that the FBI has open, which is, you know, their whole play. The whole play is that the FBI is looking into you. Get out before it's too late. Uh, Pretty simple setup. And so Tony Clean is like, all right, fuck off to this location. I'll meet you there at four. And Michael's like, "Okay, see you there. Uh, But in a twist that nobody should be surprised by, two goons and no Tony arrives. And they're like, we know you're not, Ned gordon you're an impasta who are you and then they start absolutely beating the shit out of him jesse and fee are posted nearby uh fee's got a sniper rifle trained and jesse gets a little jumpy when michael gets jumped but don't you fucking forget who our protagonist is so michael handily extracts himself and jesse is put in his place all right i guess that guy can handle himself
1: i mean how many times do we need to see this scene
0: The scene of people underestimating Michael?
1: Not even the people underestimating Michael specifically, but very specifically, someone seems like they're caught and then two other people are like, oh no, they're caught. We have to get them out of there. And then the other person going, no, hold on. They'll handle it. Like that exact same (laughs) beat. We see it so much on this show.
0: Well, because it's like it's the spy shorthand. Because like the whole point is that like spies get themselves in a really bad situation sometimes. Sometimes on purpose. Sometimes not on purpose. Sometimes it's just the luck of the draw. But like, what makes a real good spy a real good spy is they can get themselves out of anything. But, but unless is somebody really, verbally we've been saying told this
1: so many times that if they just well, but now held Jesse's new and no one Jesse's said new. any dialogue, we would know.
0: Exactly. Well. That's the thing is that this show sometimes over explains things. Like there's a couple of um, decent spy tips that I omitted from my list at the end because we've heard them before, because the show loves telling us like the same four spy tips over and over and over again, sometimes nearly verbatim as if we're
1: stupid. To be fair, we have a burn notice podcast. We probably are stupid. Why did we you know do what? this to ourselves?
0: Because we're patriots. Anyways, now the boys are like, shit, we, Michael is burned, he, but he's, he's our spy. He's Mr. Burn Notice. What are we going to do? So um, as they're trying to figure out what happens next, um, oh, Michael, when he was getting initially interrogated by Tony, kicked his gross little lint bug underneath the guy's favorite chair.
1: Yeah, that whatever, was actually a thing. Restaurant. I mentioned this earlier, that when he's making the bug, he like – Cuts a hole in his pocket so that. Oh yeah,
0: I thought. Now that you say that, that makes sense because I thought he was just cutting a little bit of lint out. I thought but so you're right. Too. He did. I thought <laughs> but that's yeah, what it he was. totally did.
1: And but then later, like when it drops out, because like he doesn't really do anything with his hands to make it fall. Like he, I think it just gets kind of jostled, and like because and then there's then a hole in his out pocket, and he kicks it, it under. falls out.
0: Yeah, and then he kicks it under the table. Yeah. Yeah, it was very clever. It was a it's a good little bug and it was a good bug drop. So, you know, a lot of things have gone wrong in this operation so far, but at least they did get a bug planted beneath his favorite table at this Everything apparently too nice restaurant. This
1: episode is working perfectly
0: exactly so as all of the three boys stake out tony again they learn that the reason that michael got made is because tony actually knows somebody inside the fbi so getting like invoking the name fbi in front of him is actually not that useful luckily sam hasn't had a plot in a while so he's got a plan it involves geo who's a newcomer in town chatting with tony who runs the new york operation of this mob and it turns out tony might not be top dog in fact It might be Geo, and um, he's come to town to squeeze Tony because Tony, like the underling with the sick kid from earlier, is late and short on a recent payment. Oh, no. What is Tony going to do? So Sam thinks that this makes Tony the perfect, like, scab for a desperate ploy that they can exploit, and of course, that means it's time for Chuck. So I'm extremely excited. I'm glad that we got Chuck Finley so early. I feel I like this to. is not the first Chuck Finley episode that Barrios has written either. I feel like Barrios really likes Chuck Finley.
1: That makes sense, actually. That tracks.
0: It does, because, like, Chuck Finley is, like, a classic hammy good guy who's, like, got some smarm, but ultimately is just, like, a decent dude. I yeah, feel like exactly. Barrios Campbell episodes are, are kind of tradish at this point. Yeah. Because Sam is simple, you know? He's got a code, and he has a little fun on the side, but exactly. he's got a code.
1: He's a good version of masculinity.
0: Exactly. Yeah, pretty classic masculine dude. Before we get to Chuck Finley, our favorite boy, Jesse goes to placate Hank, who has been like out of work for a couple of days because they told him like, hey, go take a vacation. So let your arm heal because his arm got broken by the mobsters. Um, Like we'll take care of this But it's been a couple of days And the situation has not gotten better And Hank's like I have to go back to work People are asking questions So Jesse's like It's totally fine Don't worry about it We've got this handled And Hank's like Okay Oh also here's a giant stack of papers About Algerian shipments Because apparently Jesse Is also now using his connection to Hank To continue researching the B-plot Which is Operation Find Cobra Slash guns Yeah Moving on (laughs) Moving on we have another Madeline Jesse scene where Madeline finds another very obvious excuse to prod Jesse for some more answers, and it's revealed that Jesse's mom died a while back because Agent Madeline saw the photo of her that Jesse was showing her, and it's very worn. So she's like, "That's clearly been in your wallet for a while, and that probably wouldn't be in your wallet for a while if your mom was alive recently." And Jesse's like, "Good eye, Mrs. Weston." Um, and then Sam
1: calls. So I Jessie hate that Jesse's mom. As a plot point because I want to make the same joke every time and I already made it.
0: <laughs> Jesse's mom has got it going on.
1: Yeah, except she doesn't.
0: Not anymore, because uh, she's dead. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> she's been dead for so long. Jessie's mom's been dead for so long.
0: <laughs> well, there's a literally a line from that song about like I've been waiting for Waiting so for long. so long, yeah. Jesse?
1: Oh, and this is actually very uh. important. Jesse's mom isn't just dead. She was of killed she was. by bad guys. She was... Oh, I missed that. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Jesse's mom was, like, killed, but by... she worked at, like, a store or something. And, like, the store got robbed. And she got killed. So Jesse's basically Batman.
0: That tracks. He's reckless enough.
1: Exactly. And, like, he wants to, like, help people... Like that, he sees that are like in trouble because crossed. no one he he makes a point of saying that like p- people were outside and no one did anything to save his mom. So now he is someone who, when he sees people in trouble, has to go save them because like no one saved his mom. And like, you know, that's like his whole yeah.
0: thing. Yeah, it's like literally Batman. Yeah. So, but like, also, like, specifically
1: uh, the point that. Like, like, this is Jesse's character. People specifically did nothing to help his mom. Like, so not only is he Batman, but it's also, like, that's why he literally cannot pull himself away from someone being in trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. Which honestly probably made him a terrible spy, <laughs> which is exactly I mean, why that's he why got he got benched. got benched. But yeah, it's all coming together. In some ways, it was perfect that he got burned because he can do a lot more work as, like, a vigilante rough boy than <laughs> like, a government stooge
1: jesse's a vigilante rough boy
0: <laughs> importantly spelled r-u-f-f of course yeah. so anyways rough boy <sighs> is needed oh at God, uh so tony's favorite club <laughs> jesse is needed at tony's favorite club because it's been a while since we've seen a uh a bad guy's favorite club, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was shot out. at the same club we've always gone to. But yeah, this is Tony's favorite club, and they're gonna go get It's a get real it.
1: old school episode.
0: It very... It, I mean, it's fucking Barrios. Like, what do you expect? Um, but yeah, so they're, they're gonna get Tony, and uh, we are treated to uh, partially a spy tip we've heard before, which is, if somebody's got security with them, find a time where they don't have security with them like the bathroom however they give us some details about like their bathroom takedown that I do think are useful so we'll talk about that later but basically Jesse and Chuck get the drop on Tony and sneak him out with a hat over his face And I
1: don't know um, how this
0: works so here's my thing. So just, so basically, so they, they knock him out. They put a hat over his face and drag him out of the bathroom as if he's like a drunk guy. Like they kind of weakened at Bernie's him, but also cover his face. And they just walk him right past his security detail. And like, it should not work. But their shitting grins are so hilarious and will, of course, be the promo image for this episode that I'm like, I will allow it. Like, the the cast in this episode is having enough fun that, like, they made me like a lot of Barrio's bullshit that normally I would not let slide.
1: Yeah, it it was kind of wild, though, because, like, literally, like, they just put a hat on him. I'm not even sure if the hat was, like, over his face.
0: It was, because I have a screenshot
1: to prove it. No, I looked at the screenshot, but, like, it looks like his head is down, though. Like it's not Not in either
0: case. If he's wearing the hat and his head is down, the hat covers any identifying features.
1: Like his head is down. I mean, they can't see whoever's face it is. Because he's looking down.
0: Yeah, because he's looking down, and the hat's over his face. So like the hat becomes. But like the hat is not like it doesn't matter. No, it it should not have worked. It 100% should not have worked. It's so fucking suspicious. They're clearly, he's not even stumbling. He's knocked the fuck out because they like injected him with something.
1: This also, even if they they didn't think it was their boss, they should be like. (laughs) Like the security people know what their boss looks like.
0: Well, again, his face is obscured. I will give them that. No, it's an like, extremely suspicious walk away.
1: It's not like he's wearing a different outfit.
0: See, that's the other thing. That was something that I, th- I was like, if they had just changed his jacket which would have been an easy thing for them to do. But if he had, they had just changed his jacket, I would have allowed this. This whole shenanigan, I would have allowed to go off without a hitch. But yeah, it's so suspicious. It's so fucking also, suspicious. Like, what- and it's suspicious even if they don't think it's his boss. Because like, they're at this club and a man is clearly being kidnapped and they're not like, oh, I hope that isn't our boss who just went into the bathroom. I'm sure it's fine.
1: <laughs> well, as we learned from Jesse's backstory, people just look the other way.
0: They just look the other way.
1: Genevieve's um, the whole thing.
0: So the next scene is Tony tied up in like a hotel that uh, Sam as kind of Hannibal Lecter-esque, has just, like, tied him to a bedpost. Like, everything is very red in the room. He's got red curtains. He's being very creepy. He's got suspenders on and is, like, dramatically sharpening knives throughout the scene and keeps, like, threatening to cut off ears. And uh, the story that we're going with now is that Chuck Finley is one of Geo's guys. And Gio, you remember the New York office, Gio, uh, is out for blood. And Tony attempts to buy Chuck off unsuccessfully. He's like, I got 20K I can give you. And he's like, pfft please. 20K? Are you kidding me? Fuck off, dude. Um, And then he's finally like, no, no, no. I actually, I can get you a million. I can get you a million dollars because uh, there's a thing going on at the docks and I normally just like skim. But for you, my new best friend, Chuck Finley, I will get the whole score and we will split it and it'll be awesome. And so Chuck's like, all right, you know what? I like you, kid. So you have 48 hours to get me a million dollars. Otherwise... I will absolutely it's a $5 million
1: you. score, he's giving Chuck $1 million. The
0: economics don't make a lot of sense, but I guess if you're just like a guy, like you're just like, because uh, Chuck Finley's pretending to be like Gio's guy, right? So also, I think maybe at this point, it's, it's more
1: than 20,000. <laughs> also, at this point, I will say Tony thinks that his guys are going to be doing the. So that, that makes more sense.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Tony thinks his guys are going to be doing it. Chuck, I think, tries to imply, like, you can't trust your guys. It's got to be just you um but more on that later so anyways he's got 48 hours to come up with a million smackers for chuck finley otherwise chuck finley will cut him into little pieces uh michael and jesse check in on the b plot over a yogurt back at the loft jesse's found some more about those algerian shipments but isn't sure where they're going yet or where necessarily they came from i guess i don't know i'm not really paying attention to the b plot because like It doesn't matter. They're trying to find Cobra. They have yet to find Cobra. There is a yogurt in the scene, which is why it's important. Yeah. Sam calls with a snag in their new plan because, unfortunately, Tony is going to absolutely help them with the something stupid they need to get him caught. Because, like, the whole thing is they're going to make Tony make a desperate move and then set him up to get caught by the police, which, again... Classic burn notice. Um, unfortunately, Tony has continued his Mr. Clean reputation and is like, no, I'll just have my guys do it. So uh, he is going to continue to keep his own hands clean, which is useless to them because they don't want just the score, they want him to get caught with the score. So they're like, shit, we got to step it up and make sure that he really doesn't trust his guys. And what do you do for that? Well, you call Fiona in, and she fake blows him up. So she like fakes an assassination attempt. There's a big, fiery explosion from a car. And now the goons are out, and Chuck is in. So it's going to be Tony and Chuck for the win.
1: Here's my question. Then, Where is he? Is he outside of his bar? I think he's outside of his restaurant. His restaurant? Like, do none of his goons notice that their boss's car got blown up and like follow up
0: on that? I think Tony immediately is like, everyone go home until I tell you. I don't know. Because no one is ever at this restaurant. It's like a completely empty restaurant except for Tony. And then occasionally someone drags somebody in for him. Like, the again, the setup for this is wild. That Nothing makes sense. Nothing is connected to anything. Who cares? I don't know. It's a burritos episode. Maybe it's I'm not just that really deep.
1: nitpicky today because I'm nitpicky about next week's too. But, like, I just, yeah.
0: Oh, no, there's a lot to pick there's a lot of nits here. So uh, yeah, no, you're not wrong. It doesn't make any sense. And also like, like literally, so so Chuck Fidley tells him, you can't trust your guys. And Tony's like, yeah, yeah, I can trust my guys. Then a bomb gets put under his car and he's like, I can't trust my guys. Like, there's, no, they didn't even try to, like, set up somebody specific. They just tried to kill him. And, like, he's like, you're right. It's definitely my guys. I believe you. Like, everything in this episode is super convenient. Additionally, so a fake FBI guy comes in to, like, try and scam him. And his real FBI guys like, that guy's fake. So they try to kill Michael. Michael doesn't die. Immediately, a second person he's never met appears on the scene and threatens his life. And he's like, but I can trust you for sure. And then that totally brand new guy is like... You can't trust your guys. And then a bomb happens and he's like, you're right. I can't trust my guys. Like, how is any of that fucking connected? Tony's the dumbest man in the world. Is
1: that they're constantly conning people who should know how cons work.
0: Yes, exactly. That's 100% what's happening. And that's why I like Brennan so much as a villain, because he's like one of the few antagonists of the week that is actually savvy to that, which makes those episodes like a lot more fun because they have to try harder. Listen, we can't get bogged down in this. It's it the the plot doesn't hold up. It does not hold water. It is full of holes. It is sinking. But before it sinks, let's finish our recap. So uh, everybody but Chuck meets up with Hank again to explain that he needs to partially a- allow a robbery to take place at the docks because they need Tony to, like, drive off with the goods. And Hank is very unhappy about this. And he is wondering who these new mysterious security friends are because they've been telling him that, like, they work for dock security or something. They're like, no, we're we work for somebody at the docks. We're legit. And he's like, OK. <laughs> Sure, thanks for saving my life, and but he starts questioning it, and he's very nervous. I mean, it's classic client behavior, right? Like, oh God, this sounds hard and scary.
1: And he is a weasley wimp.
0: He is a weaselly wimp. Uh, then sexism precludes Fee from being Chuck Finley's right hand man, and so Jesse Jesse is back in play. So Chuck Finley and his buddy Jesse, who I'm sure has a name, I, I but also just sort of like there.
1: that the show never really does this beat of like. You know, they're going to be expecting a man because, like, Fee pretends to be the, like... The muscle. The muscle all the time. This is she never know, a thing. But now that they have another male lead, they're like, oh.
0: Well, I think probably we're, they're implying a kind of patriarchal structure for a mob boss guy. Because, like, they're very specific. This isn't a gang. This is the mob.
1: But, yeah. So but the I point guess is that they, the mob they has use Jesse. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Well, yes, no, 100%. Um, I think that's probably the in-world explanation, but it doesn't matter. So Jesse's back off the bench. Jesse and Sam go meet Tony at the docks to like talk over their plan of how they're going to steal this big shipment of like computer shit. Uh, but once again, Tony is trying to make other people do the work because he's like, no, I've I've already paid my dues. I don't do this kind of work anymore. So you guys go in and do this stuff. And they're like... No, Tony, you have to come with us. And they don't really have a convincing argument, and it seems to be going south. And Tony's like, "Why do I need to go? Fuck you guys! You you clearly have a better system. You go do it." And so then Jesse like looks at Sam and is like, "Well, what about that time that you were in El Salvador?" And, and Sam. And this is, is why like, this
1: scene has to be Jesse and can't be Fee.
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. So yeah, so Jesse basically tells Sam to tell him this story to convince Tony that everything's going to be fine. They're not going to let him get caught. And unfortunately, and this is the most subtle Barrios has ever been because they don't immediately explain what's happening. This is clearly an actual story of Sam's that Jesse is trying to get him to tell. But as we know from previous seasons, Sam and like his Chuck Finley alias is very distinct from Sam Axe's alias. Sam doesn't like using his own connection for, like, crime reasons. He doesn't, like, he wants to play it straight and narrow. You know, that's this is a thing for him. But yeah. unfortunately, Jesse I, has I put him in an uncomfortable place.
1: This also feels forced.
0: Oh, no, it, fo- it for sure feels forced. Like, the introduction feels forced. The ending, the dismount, I will say, I think is pretty good. I think
1: what this story gets them is good. And, like, yeah, I think... Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, there's a little line at the end that's kind of nice. But, like...
0: It that's feels what I mean by it like a
1: conflict that's super manufactured and, like, Sam has to care about this more.
0: Barrios is not a subtle man, <laughs>
1: Chris, Sam has to care we... about this more than it seems reasonable that he would care about it. And, like, just to manufacture this conflict between Jesse and oh. Sam that ultimately isn't that big a deal.
0: Yeah, it's not, it's more about his like code. You know, it's one of those like like, it's the principle of the thing kind of conflicts. But anyway, so the El Salvador story is the conclusion of the El Salvador story, at least, is that Sam would never leave a man behind, even if like he's in dire straits. Like he will put himself in danger to keep his team safe. And so Tony's like, wow, you're the real deal. Okay, I'll help you. I trust you now. My best friend, my general, my platoon leader. And, um,
1: (laughs) <laughs> I do feel like this Chuck Finley feels like a very distinct character from psycho meat cleaver Chuck Finley.
0: Yes! Who he was I was going to bring that up to. when we got to the end. <laughs> yeah no it is it is a wild pull that this is the story that convinces tony because the first time tony met chuck finley he had suspenders and several meat cleavers and kept threatening to cut off parts of his body and now he's like this honorable soldier what the fuck? the internal consistency even within their lie is so broken so anyway so tony's convinced and sam is pissed he doesn't pimp out his life to bad guys jesse Uh, More headroom ensues as they debate over their tactics for getting Tony on side. But in any case, what's done is done. Tony's on side. They gotta go. Jesse is like looking over his Albanian manifest in his little garage apartment when Madeline enters to ply him with cookies. And Jesse is hilariously hesitant to like grab one. And she's like, so I hear, I see word has spread about my cooking. And Jesse immediately takes a cookie and like, doesn't eat it, very obviously, which I enjoyed. Because hey, Madeline sucks at cooking. And despite that, she continues trying and still gets mad at people for not eating it. Like, honestly, I wish I had that level of confidence. Like, I'm bad at this, and how dare you imply that I am. I just enjoy that she's like, I know this will actively torture you. And I know that you know what's coming. You're going to do it anyways. God damn it.
1: It's the way that this works is that she makes bad cookies and then gives them to people and forces them to eat them. As, That's exactly
0: what's happening. As a I love show
1: it. that like... Of dominance. Of dominance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Eat the cookie. Eat it. Can I say though? Okay, but imagine this. Right? What if mm-hmm. it, what if it was that banlin just has weird taste, right?
0: No, it's not. Because she's in she's referenced in the universe that she's like, I'm not very good at cooking.
1: A, it would make more sense if she just had a weird taste. But... No, we agree.
0: That would no, no, be better. No, but, because no, it's, it's much more funny. Follow me. Okay. I'm
1: following. You me. open the episode with a bit about how weird Jesse's snacks are. And then you follow that with a scene of the two of them making hummus together. A really good beat in this episode would have been if Jesse liked the cookies.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: And, and then, then at the like, end, that's a like Jesse Madeline everyone something.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, at the end of the episode, like, Madeline makes one more thing and everyone else eats it and is like, oh, God. And Jesse's like, delicious, Mrs. Weston. Great job. Right?
1: That's that a better be really runner fun. than Cobra.
0: Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, I don't think Alfredo Bardios Jr. is very interested in women. So all of their plot lines are usually pretty limited.
1: I mean, that's fair. But it's just like, it's so funny that like there's these other weird forced plot points when there's a plot point that's like three fourths there Mm -hmm. that like just a little bit of tweaking.
0: It's it's half baked, just like her cookies. Yeah. Well, now that we've settled that, what actually happens in this scene is that Jesse is finally like, okay, clearly you're grilling me. Here's what's up. I was a spy, then I was burned. But Michael, your son, is a really good guy and is helping me. (laughs) Yeah, but Michael is helping me. You should be really proud of him. He's a great dude. And he turns around and we look at Madeline and Madeline's like, oh, fuck. I know exactly what happened. Yeah, because he doesn't just say
1: that he got burned. He said that someone stole information. Mm -hmm. And because that information got stolen from me, I got burned.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but luckily, I found your very good son, whose ethics are beyond reproach, Michael Weston, who I love like a brother. Thank you for giving birth to my brother. And uh, is Madeline the is immediately best, like
1: most ethically sound bathroom sign I've ever met. <laughs>
0: That's a man you can trust. And so Madeline is like, oh God, okay, I know what's up now. This will come back later. Uh, Jesse and Michael go to an airplane hangar for B-plot reasons. Everyone still hates the nickname Cobra, but uh, they're invested in making... Like, they're invested in finding him. So that's why we're in an airplane hangar. Who cares? They find a suspiciously cleaned area um, and a plane with a tail number that matches one of the weapons shipments that they know about. And then they find some blood left over in, like, within the plane and, like, on an exterior portion of the plane. So they're pretty sure that someone, maybe Cobra's, body was dropped during the last flight this plane took. So now they got to go find a manifest to figure out, like, where the last flight path was so that they can maybe go corpse hunting.
1: Okay. I'm this never comes lot. up again. And like some of these nits are pretty big and are worth picking. Some of them aren't that big. But here's my question. Sure. They dumped the body out to sea. They don't necessarily
0: say to sea. They say somewhere on the flight path. They put But
1: somewhere out. on the flight path. They don't dump it here. No. What is What was cleaned up here?
0: Well, I think probably what happened is that he either got caught in the propellers uh, or, like, as they pushed him out or something, or, like, it, it wasn't a clean throw. Like, some of the blood from the body they threw over got onto the plane, and so it was, like, dripping when they parked.
1: Yeah, but it seems weird that That's there's what a I little bit happened. of blood left on the plane itself, but not... Well, that's why I think it was probably a propeller
0: thing. Like, I bet they, in addition to dropping it out of a plane, they probably shoved him towards the propeller. Because, like, you want to mangle a body. A plane propeller midair is a pretty good way of doing that.
1: That's fair. That's possible. I'll buy that. I was just, there was, the thing is, I bought it totally Up until the moment that I – just now when I realized, oh, wait, they didn't dump him here. Like, I thought there was just a body on the ground there.
0: I mean, maybe it started there. They loaded the body in the plane, pushed him out of the plane, and came back.
1: It could be. I don't know. doesn't matter. That that actually is not a plot hole. It was just a thing that I thought about just now.
0: Great. Well, I'm glad you brought it up. That was very important. And I'm glad we unpacked that for you. So, uh, Sam, Fee, and Hank go on a magic hour walk by the dock. So it's very beautiful, very like tracking shot of the three of them walking by the water as the sun sets gloriously in the background, because we are, you know, film 101 students. And, um, now uh and and sam is like getting off the phone with tony because tony is like obsessed with him he's like we are blood brothers thank you and sam's like yeah he thinks we're in like a fucking platoon together or something i hate this guy and hank is like extra nervous and this is the first of two moments where it seems like barrios is foreshadowing that hank is gonna fuck up the plan Yeah, like so many clients before then this is the first of two times like we know that the clients are always nervous and like why is this taking so long my life is in shambles but like this guy because he like they keep emphasizing your job's easy just like let like let the robbery happen we promise we'll take care of it but like because he's not just like waiting while they finish this plot line but because he also is part of the cover-up like he's part of the heist thing um it seems like in two different places that hank is definitely gonna fuck this up for them spoiler alert he doesn't he does a great job is everything is fine bluff? Yeah, it's a double... Bl- it's so strange. I don't understand why they make such a big deal out of, like, Hank, it's so easy. Because whenever you say to somebody, it's so easy, it couldn't go wrong, something always goes wrong. Exactly. Like, it's classic Especially comedy they're, setup.
1: like, a, a whippy Weasley boy.
0: Exactly. But not this time, for some reason. So that in, a, in a That's So Barrios moment... Um, Tony has apparently asked Chuck Finley, after they do this job together as Blood Brothers, the, if Chuck Finley will kill all of his goons and their families. Because in case you've forgotten, Tony is a very bad guy, and he doesn't care who he kills.
1: And this is Tony's goons and families, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, Tony's yeah, not goons. Chuck's like he, goons. He, yeah, he's like, uh, Chuck, please kill everyone who's ever worked for me, and also their families. Because I am, in case you've forgotten, a bad guy. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. I was starting to worry that I might actually like Tony, but thank God Barrio set me straight, just like everyone else in this episode. So the day of the heist, Chuck Finley checks in with his various teammates around the docks because um, the, the conceit is Tony, Chuck... Fiona and Jesse are going to go in and do like the actual on the ground stuff. And Tony's like, but where's your other guys? Did you have somebody on the road? Do you have somebody here, here? And Chuck's like, don't worry, all my guys are in place. And so he keeps he starts checking in with quote unquote, everyone on his walkie talkie. And every time he checks in with a new quadrant of people, it's just Michael Weston doing a different voice. And a slightly
1: different voice. (laughs) He's not even like, Jeffrey Donovan can do lots of voices. (laughs)
0: But we only hear three. We hear regular Michael Weston voice. We hear deep gravelly cobra voice. And then we have Homer. The Homer yeah. voice is the sniper like, voice. So that's the we get the most the deep gravelly of.
1: voice sounds a little bit Southern. It almost sounds like normal gravelly Southern and Homer Southern.
0: I don't and care. It, I think it's a very funny bit. And I like that we got to cut to Michael and watch him do his little voices each it time. Is a good I bit. thought it was I funny. I did
1: enjoy it. But I wanted more. <laughs> um, it is also, I, I also interesting. That, I was hoping like, he would
0: do, like, a hype. pitched voice, like,
1: hello! In this episode, Jeffrey Donovan is like, oh, we have to have a moment where I do some voices.
0: <laughs> yeah, if I don't get to do my weird southern blue-collar voice, then I'm out.
1: It's also, I'm very stupid. Like, it just occurred to me just now that that's why this is the Sam episode, or that's why he's directing this episode. Because mm-hmm. it's yeah. like, no, it he, could, he doesn't have to be in as much of it.
0: Yep, 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 yep. So anyways, I like that bit a lot. I thought it was funny. It um, is good. good so, so this next bit, I am the heist happens. Basically, they steal a truck. It's very simple. They steal a truck and everything is fine. I'm actually honestly very unclear why they think that Tony needs to be here, like, in scheme. Like, if I was Tony, I'd be like, why am I here? Because at a certain point... Like, Fiona and Jesse also don't need to be there. Like, they fuck off basically immediately. They help them get into the fence line. And then they just sort of disappear. And the the only people we see from then on are Chuck Finley and Tony. So, like, why do they need four of them? Why do they need Tony? Like, I don't understand. I, if I was Tony, I'd be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Why am I here driving
1: the I truck? Mean, it seems like there needs to be two people because someone needs to handle the security guard and someone needs to drive the truck.
0: That's two people. Why four?
1: Well, no, but then and why also... did they make
0: such a stink that Tony is in it? Because they don't even tell Tony like you need to do this because otherwise we can't trust you. Like they don't even bring it that they're like we need four people. It needs to be you.
1: Yeah, like the conceit doesn't no, it hold doesn't up. Doesn't make sense,
0: especially if Sam allegedly has or if Chuck Finley allegedly has like a full fucking army at his
1: back. Yeah. Like, it
0: doesn't even make sense why Chuck Finley is doing it.
1: No, it doesn't. It makes no sense.
0: It makes no sense. I don't know why the two old men in suits are the ones, like, roughing it up. But anyways, so Tony gets in the car and Chuck's like, all right, I'll go distract the security guards and get the gate open. You drive the truck. (laughs) don't drive over the speed limit or the cops will get you or something. I'm sure it'll be fine. I've thought all this out. So then um, Chuck basically gives the, uh, Chuck gets Hank to open the gate and hands Hank the gun. And is like, okay, pretends like, like pretend that you're, you got the gun from me and I'll just wave him off and say like, go on without me. Basically trapping Sam behind the gate so that like, Tony is alone in the truck for the police who have already been called to catch him. Unfortunately, this is the moment that Tony grows a conscience. So even though everything seems to be going swimmingly, he turns the car around, crashes back through the gate because he, like Chuck Finley, is not going to leave a man behind. I think he even says like, remember El Salvador? I'll never do that to you. My blood brother. He doesn't yeah, say he blood does. brother, but that's like the opinion. That's like the the overarching theme of this moment. And so it's like very noble. And also it really fucks up their plans. So um Chuck and Tony run off from the cops. Once they're outside of the police perimeter, Tony pitches Chuck on going into business together because they're such a swell team and their first stop should be to take out Geo. Like, let's kill Geo. Fuck that dude. It, with you at my side, we can totally take over this whole operation. Aren't we such a good team? I just saved your life. And Chuck's like, I guess. <laughs> and so now we're in can like say, the last I really 7 minutes of
1: Admire your oh, commitment. Please referring to him as Chuck
0: I think it's an important distinction Sam Axe and Chuck I was about to say Chuck Tingle that's not his name (laughs) Sam Axe and Chuck Finley that
1: Chuck Tingle isn't (laughs) Chuck Finley
0: (laughs) we don't you know that's a great point but anyways Sam has made a very big important distinction between Sam Axe and Chuck Finley and I for one would like to respect that
1: what happens next
0: well, what happens next is that we have seven minutes left of the episode. And I'm like, shit, guys, you got to fucking figure this out because we're running out of time. So, uh, back of the loft, Sam is pissed, but uh, we got to resolve some shit. So, I guess we're going to take out two mobsters with one stone. So, they hire a bunch of muscular dudes on Craigslist to make it look like Chuck really does have like this big army that he keeps telling Tony he has. And um, they head to where they know Gio is going to be for a showdown.
1: There isn't really, I do enjoy the scene of fiona just like auditioning a line of big strapping men
0: it it is very fun like there's there's the the scene that chris is referring to is um so they post a, a craigslist ad basically for a bunch of like beefy dudes and so one guy has apparently responded to the ad saying that he has 17 inch arms um like around 17 inches around and fiona's like Take off your jacket. Let me see. And he, like, flexes for her. And she's like, all right, you'll do. Go on. And it was very fun. She got to really be horny in that scene. And I think that that is a testament to Jeffrey Donovan's directing. Yeah. I appreciate that he allowed Fiona to be extremely horny.
1: Exactly. So do I.
0: (laughs) More horny Fiona. Anyways, so the showdown basically is that uh, Chuck Finley drives... Tony in front of a line of big black SUVs full of beefy dudes. And they cut off Gio as he's coming from, I think the tracks is where they said that he was going to be. And so Gio gets out of the car with an automatic weapon that Chuck hands him and like makes this big speech about how like, he's not going to let him, you know, talk down to him anymore. This is his city, blah, blah, blah. And as he's giving this monologue, um, all of the cars behind him that like make up his army just start turning around. And it's this really, that's one of my favorite shots of the episode. Is that as uh, Tony is making this impassioned speech about like how he's gonna stand up to Geo, all of his actual like people are leaving him, and just like right behind him in the shot, which I thought was a very fun choice. And then uh, Chuck know, drives it's away. Really good. And Gio is left standing there. And then like you watch him make the decision like, well, fuck everything. I guess I'm going to go down in flames. And so uh, it's a pan up shot where it's like a crane shot where uh, Tony starts shooting. You hear Gio and his men start shooting back and we crane upward to watch Chuck and the rest of the beefy Craigslist dudes drive away into the distance. This is the one moment where I like the look, the like look of betrayal on Tony's face actually a little bit makes me sad because like. He, he had done, he thought he had a new friend and he like had made this big, bold sacrifice. And he like, before he made the pitch to Chuck Finley that they were, they should go into business together. All, he wasn't even thinking about that. He saved Chuck Finley before he had a plan for what the fuck he was going to get to Gio. Because as far as he knew, Gio is definitely out for blood, but you know what? To hell with that. Remember El Salvador. I have to save my best friend, Chuck Chuck Finley who I wanted to call Chuck Tingle again. And yeah, like the look on his face as he watches Chuck drive away. It's so sad.
1: Here's the thing. Like fucking Sam, Chuck Finley just like gives him a little salute and goes. Like
0: it's It's interesting that
1: like Sam never not once feels bad.
0: No, he does not. Well, because uh, Tony hates sick kids exactly
1: like that's the thing about this episode is it's still like a barrios joint so no one can Mm -hmm. ever feel the least bit sympathetic about this bad guy ever
0: yeah it's a real bummer but Tony Tony doesn't die though we we learn later Tony's alive he's like in a prison hospital and like a ton of arrests have been made so you know everything went down fine but yeah Tony's alive Gio's dead Gio's fucking Gio's dead
1: Tony's alive (laughs) Tony's been like I assume he's been shot a lot though
0: well, yes, Tony has definitely been shot a lot, but he's but yeah, alive. He is so currently alive. He lives. He lives to blood brother another day. Yeah, uh, and so they t- we learn this information at another magic hour scene where they're on a like they're on a bridge talking to Hank, and Hank's like, "Who are you guys?" And they're like, "Don't worry about it. We're just here to help." And Tank's like, okay, and goes and gets in his car. And like, they all, the gang like dramatically turns away and starts walking in slow motion down a bridge with the sunset in the background. And it's like a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. And it was, it's so dramatic and like, it's so melodramatic.
1: Who are you? We are Batman. (laughs)
0: exactly that's that's exactly how it went like i think i even took a screenshot of this scene because it's hilarious yeah oh and this is the scene where jesse kind of cryptically apologizes to sam for uh telling the bad guy his real life story yeah so that's resolved everything's fine it's a cute little line you know
1: because hank's like who are you guys and he's like don't tell anyone some stories you just don't tell
0: yeah, exactly. And he gives Sam a little look and Sam gives him a little look and everything is fine. All is good in Boys Town.
1: That's the alternate title for this show.
0: <laughs> All's good in Boys Town. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we so we have a, a cute little single shot scene at the very end of this episode. It's basically all set on like a sliding camera. Um, And then that gets still where the four of them are seated at a bar talking over B-plot stuff. Um, Fiona offers Jesse a ticket on a cigarette boat in the cargo bay to get them out of Miami to go follow the lead that they got on Cobra. And that is a thing. Like it's just a a little scene to like wrap up like, all right, next, next episode we're going somewhere that's not Miami. How exciting. And we're going in bad conditions because you know, this dude is burned and he's not allowed to leave Miami much like Michael was once not allowed to leave Miami but they figured out a way around it so we'll see you next week folks and unfortunately that's not the end of the scene or that's not the end of the episode because Michael then goes home to the loft where Madeline is waiting for him in a haze of cigarette smoke and she knows what Michael did to Jesse and she's very angry about it and reminds Michael that the lies have a way of coming out, so you better be careful. He's a nice boy with a dead mom. How dare you? And then she leaves, and that's the end of the episode.
1: It is. I like how all the women immediately like Jesse, and all the men are like they don't know about this guy.
0: Well, because him being a loose, like they they're they're not also like a little bit attracted to him. Yeah, their 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 standards are much higher because he doesn't already have it up on him that like they all want to kiss him.
1: How, how attracted are you to Kobe Bell?
0: Eh, I'm not really into bald guys. Don't mean either. I'm definitely of, going
1: bald. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not like uh, big strapping men. either. Just... I
0: mean, I don't mind big strapping men, but I like them a little dirtier. Like if yeah, he was a cowboy, no. I would like it.
1: No, yeah, like, Really, I can't. If anyone's Mister Clean, it's it's Jesse.
0: Yeah, for real. It's Kobe like Bell. I like his attitude. I think he's cute, but like I he's he's a little too clean for me
1: yeah he's too clean I just like i like back. him
0: a little rougher like if he's not tall and like nerdy but with an edge then i want him a little bit rough around the edges and kobe bell is not rough around the edges he's got serious cop face
1: no he is smooth
0: yeah <laughs> he is smooth like a baby and uh no thank you would you like to hear what the good spy tips were this week chris
1: Sure, tell me some spy tips.
0: We've been recording for an hour and a half and I want to die. Spy tip number one. Ideally, a bug should never be seen by anyone. But when there's a possibility it may be, it's best to make it look like something people don't want to touch. A wad of gum stuck to a balled up piece of tissue and a sprinkling of whatever's in your lint trap will usually do the trick.
1: This was great. Loved it.
0: Yeah, loved it. Very simple. Very straightforward. Definitely looks like something I don't want to touch. Number two, holding someone's arms behind their back is a good technique for a bully on the playground, but it leaves you very exposed. A well-placed kick right beneath the knee will cripple your opponent, and a crippled opponent can be a great weapon. And the reason he says that is because he then, like, throws the guy at the other guy. I think this is useful because he's specific about where on the leg you should kick and how, if you are being held in this particular way, you can get that kick off.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. No, I'll take it
0: tell me more about them knees everybody spy tip number three executing a successful close quarters assault is all about setting the stage you'll want to dull any reflective surfaces corral your target into a corner and hit him when he's the most vulnerable and it never hurts to have a pre-arranged exit strategy so I think this one uh combined with the what we see on screen so this is the bathroom assault scene yeah. where they have they have like grimed up the bathroom windows they have put out of order signs on all but the corner like stall so he is forced to choose one particular stall where they can get the drop on him um and in our version at least is he they swap out his jacket and also put a hat on him i think all of those specifics make this a more interesting like guys are alone in the bathroom
1: (laughs) i never would have thought to like scuff up the mirrors
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no it was a good little detail
1: yeah, no, I I liked that, too. Cool.
0: Number four. If you're cutting through a high-powered electric fence, you need more than rubber gloves and a pair of thick-soled shoes. Covering a fence with spray-on insulation and then using a set of fiberglass-handled bolt cutters will keep you from lighting up like a Christmas tree.
1: This was also good.
0: Yeah, it was useful. Uh, what is the fiberglass
1: five? for? Is it so that you don't touch the electricity? Metal. The metal. That's what yeah, I assumed.
0: Yeah, I think it's just like a double up on separating yourself from whatever is connected to the electricity. Yeah. Like in case Fiona does actually cut outside of the insulation square, you know, it's not immediately fatal, I think is the idea. Yeah. Uh, Number five, a shape charge large enough to go through a wall is also large enough to let everyone for several miles know what you're doing. A smaller charge can be just as useful and a lot less noisy. A hydraulic spreader puts enough pressure to rip a door off a Humvee placed correctly. It can make short work of reinforced concrete. So basically this is use a smaller charge and then use a hydraulics thing to like bust open the rest of the wall. It's sort of like when you puncture like a piece of tape, it's easier to tear the tape from that point, but you need a small puncture first.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm with this one.
0: This one was technically on the Burn Notice Wiki considered two tips, but I think it's just one. Like, it's all a part of the same. It's like, don't make big explosion, make little explosion. Like, that's nothing, but used in context with the other thing that makes a single tip.
1: I thought this was the single tip.
0: But it's also five already, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, number six, military leaders since the city states of early Greece have known that a tried and tested method for getting rid of an adversary is to provoke him to attack a more powerful enemy, provide an ambitious adversary with the backing of a seemingly invincible army by casting hunks from Craigslist, which is an addition that I made to the spy tip, and he's bound to go hunting for even his toughest rifle. Making sure your adversary is eliminated then becomes about pulling that backing once he's declared war on his rifle, when it's too late for him to take it all back. We've never seen this exact execution of setting up someone to fail. And I like the specifics of, like, provoke him, then give him an invincible army, then wait until he can't go back. So, like, wait until he does his little speech and gets out of the car and then pull away. Yeah,
1: I'll take it. I'll take it.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a couple things in here we haven't seen before. And also we got a scene of Fiona looking at a very large man's arms.
1: Yeah, no, that was great. I was confused as to what the honks... Where, like, are hunks just available to, like, do hunking?
0: Like, I bet they just posted an ad, like, if you are big and can keep a straight face, come down to the dots. Yeah, I wasn't sure or if, like,
1: these were, like, hired muscle. Like, these are, like, bouncer-type dudes. Or, so I, I
0: wasn't know. sure either. The way that they describe it in scene, it doesn't seem like they're actually hiring mercenaries. Because, like, those people would be actually expensive. I think they're just getting no, big yeah, dudes. They're definitely
1: not mercenaries.
0: But yeah, so yeah, that's that's six. So that is more than five practical spy tips. And there's some actually good ones this week. I enjoyed that. Yeah, them. no, I liked it. Uh, so that's that's already one of what we need. Uh, number two on our criteria is, was there more spycraft than violence in terms of solving the weekly case?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, good spy tips sort of imply spycraft.
0: Yeah, that, that that's a pretty good barometer. Variosometer? Yeah. For if it's a good oh, spy God. tip episode. <laughs> Mwah. I hate you. Uh, is there a distinct alias? So Michael's alias, Ned Gordon, I don't think is anything. Because he's no, just nothing. like matter. a kind of snivelly guy who's in like one scene. So no, yeah, no. alias are Fee and Sam used well. Well, we uh, have yeah, Chuck I Finley. think it's a
1: good Sam episode.
0: Yeah, it's a good Sam episode. Fee does get to blow something up, which was our original criteria. That for was Reese. our original criteria. And she
1: does get to ogle some beefy boys.
0: She does. Fee gets to be horny and blow something up. That's a banner episode for Fiona. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> All right. So this is already obviously a great episode of Burn Notice. But finally, our final new rating. Is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character in this episode?
1: Yeah, I felt it yeah. more... Than I did last week. Yeah, I think so too.
0: I think this is a worse episode, but I think Jesse is more interestingly used because they more clearly define what his dynamic in the group is, which is like a little bit of a hothead, but for justice.
1: Yeah. And like the thing that they, in the other episode, were just hinting at or giving lip service to actually affects the plot this week. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it was definitely interesting. I'm very curious to see how long they can maintain this dynamic.
0: Of him being a, a hothead for justice,
1: yeah, because that is the thing of it. He is a bit like Fee that way, and like he
0: is, but Fee is like willing to cut corners. I think that Jesse isn't. I think the distinction they're kind of making is that Fiona is chaotic good, and Jesse is neutral good. Like he will follow the rules if he can, but if he can't, he'll bend them so he can continue no, yeah, doing like that's lawful. really makes sense.
1: But then it also kind of becomes a thing of. I just, like, wonder, obviously right now when he's new and also when there's a secret, there's lots of plots you can tell with Jesse. I'm curious, like, a season or two from now when, like, he can't be, like, a stupid hothead. Not that he's stupid, but, like, he can't be, like, a hothead forever because then it's, like, why are they keeping him around
0: yeah, well, I mean, even uh, our, our friend of the pod, um, Matthew Ho- or Michael Horowitz, mentions that Jesse is obviously very different in season four than he is in later seasons. So yeah, we we know that his the dynamic does change, and I like you, I am curious to as to what that dynamic change is.
1: Like, yeah, because I do like the way that Jesse is being used here, uh, but it is sort of interesting because, like, right now. I will say, one of the things about asking whether or not Jesse is interesting enough to be a main character is, are there stories that this show can tell with him that they cannot tell with the other characters? And I'm not sure that we have that yet.
0: Not yet. I, I'm i still interested enough in what's going I am, on though. with I him. Will, that will, I will that give I it to on. them this
1: week because I do like the way they use Jesse. Mm -hmm. And I think, like...
0: I'm hoping that because they now have an additional set of hands on um, missions that, and this episode isn't a great example of this, but I'm hoping that they do more uh, interesting bad guy plots because, like, I feel like we've seen the same four things that they've done over and over and over again. Like, you either set them up to, like for a score that doesn't come through. you set them up to get caught by the cops. you set up a the, uh, an underling to get like fucked over by his boss or you convince them that it's too hot and they need to move out of town because somebody's on their tail. Like those are like the four things roughly like that we get for bad guy plots. Yeah. So I'm hoping that now that there's an additional set of hands and there's not just the three of them like passing off like, all right, who's in charge this week, that we get a little bit more interesting cases of the week because we're just recycling bad guy plots at this point. And every once in a while, would, it's like, fine. But yeah, that's, that's my hope at least. I would for hope the that that is adjusting. the case.
1: Um, we will see.
0: Next week is a good example of like it's starting to be that. Like it's still very standard burn notice plotting, but um, yeah, yeah, having we'll, we'll talk about a complete team on each side I think is worth it. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Let's talk about it next week. So uh, this week I'm done with all, this episode. We're done. <laughs> um, yeah, so are you, do you have anything else to say or can I do the outro?
1: No, I think, yeah, I think Jesse's, I think for this season, like, Jesse's interesting. And the way they're using Jesse in this episode is really smart. Yes.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, and we are still, I like, so this is, so we've determined this is a great episode of Burn Notice. I think we can both agree it's not a great episode of television because there are so many plot holes and weird, like, expository sections that do not need to be that obvious. So it's just an episode of television that happens to be a great episode of Burn Notice. Would you agree?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a Barrios episode.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm sad that it was not another Mr. Snaps episode, but, you know, you, you take what you can get with this boy. So uh, with that, there's nothing left to say, but thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. Find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com and until next week, Bye.
1: Bye.